Judges chapter 6. Are you ready? The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. We're going to stop there for just a moment. We're going to talk about that passage. I, I can't imagine being someone in Israel at this time because can you imagine every time that you started getting ahead in life, every time that you, you, you did some work and planted crops and you started growing some things, then someone else comes along and just takes it all away. And then you start up again, and you, you, you all right, we're going we're gonna to plant crops again. I'm starting to see them, and you're doing the hard work of, of weeding the, the, the garden. You're doing the hard work of ensuring that it's watered. You begin to see it grow. You get excited. Man, look, God is doing something. I'm getting spiritual on that there for a minute. We was talking about crops, and I just went right over to the spiritual side. You know, man, here's, here it is, and then all of a sudden something comes along, and somebody just takes it all away. I mean... How frustrated would you get with that? I mean, that's what the people of Israel said. It says that, that they, they, ended up ending at, they ended up in the mountains and the caves, and they made dens. Now, these are people that had had cities, that had had uh, prestige, if you will, in the, in the world itself at that time because of what God had done for them. But yet here they are reduced to hiding out in dens up in the mountains and, and, and being away from people. And even then, it says when they would plant crops. So you know where these folks are. You know where, you know where your enemy is. And, and so he's off here from the distance and he just waits until you get something good in your life. Right? And the minute you get something good... Here they all come. When I started reading this about Israel, going, hey, every time that we would plant crops and we would get us, then they would come up. And not only would they come up against them and devour, but they would leave nothing, he said. They would leave no sustenance in Israel. No sheep, no ox, no donkey. These people were left destitute. And he said they'd come up, they were like locusts. Sometimes life feels like, financially sometimes it feels like for people that, man, I just finally started getting ahead. I finally put something in the bank. And, and man, the, the lawnmower tore up. And then the, the people in the neighborhood started complaining you wasn't mowing the grass. So you got to buy a lawnmower. Or, you know, something happened and you, you uh, the refrigerator tore up at the house. And if you don't do something, you're going to lose all the food. And you go, my goodness. I don't know, maybe y'all ain't never been frustrated like that. I, you know, maybe y'all ain't never been through nothing like that. Thank goodness I'm not going through that at the moment, but man, I get passionate talking about it because I've been there and felt that. Man, I'm going to tell you, in normal life sometimes it starts feeling like that the enemy just keeps swooping in and taking everything that you've worked for, particularly if you don't know Christ. Come on now. 
When you don't know Christ, and it seems like, the Bible talks about one point, it says it's almost like you're putting money into a bag that's got a hole in the bottom of it. You can't even, you can't seem to get ahead no matter how hard you work, no matter how, how many hours you do, you just can't get there. And the frustration begins to set in to people because just realistically, you're like, all right, I'm just going to give up. Why do I need to keep trying? Look, our community struggles sometimes with the reality that sometimes we're not in it to win it. Sometimes when we start working on trying to improve relationships in our city, when we start trying to improve situations in our city, it can seem like you're just putting money in a, in a bag with holes in it. It can seem like you're putting it But if we're going to be in it to win it, then we've got to do something more than just trying to say, well, we're going to go get in the, in the dens, in the, in, in the mountains, and hide away in your personal life. There's going to be stuff where it feels like, man, it just keeps getting stolen away. We're going to have to talk about what is it, what is it that we're going to do when that begins to happen. And in verse 6, the reality of what was going on in Israel, people start feeling it. Verse 6, they were brought low. This is where something's got to change, and that's what happened to Israel. They had hit rock bottom. They were brought low, and what did they do? They said, God, you've got to help us. They cried out for help to the Lord. And what happened? Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of slavery. And I want you to hang in as we start through this. He starts reminding them, this is what I have done for you before. That's why I, I like the fact the Bible tells us that we're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Because the word of our testimony needs to not be about what we have done. But it needs to be about what God has done for us and in us. That is the word of testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. That, you know, all of those things are not about what we have done, but about what God has done for us. So he says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. And from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. All right, we're going to stop right there for just a second. He said, I'm the Lord your God, and you're not supposed to fear. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now, I think there are times where when people come to God and they bring their financial situations and they bring other stuff to God, not, not, in, not in all cases, please don't misunderstand it, but oftentimes I think that when we come before God and we're saying, God, you've got to do something. You've got to solve my problem. You've got to fix what's wrong. God, I need your help. And God says, look, I have done this for you before. I brought you out of things that were oppressing you. I brought you out of things that were, that were enslaving you and that bound you up and all that. And, and you don't have to be afraid of the situation you're in right now, but you're not obeying me. On, you're not following my direction. You're not following. How am I supposed to bless and protect you when you keep running out from under my umbrella of protection? It's almost like we're running around through the mud puddles going, God, I'm getting rained on, and he's standing over here going, I'm still right here with the umbrella waiting on you. 
I've been here the whole time, but you keep moving out from under the protection of where I am. You haven't obeyed my voice. Verse 11, but God's going to do something about this for them. Now, I think that's what's amazing about God because even in our times of being unfaithful, the Bible tells us that He remains faithful. He doesn't stop. He does not determine based on our ability to be faithful whether He will be faithful. Because the reality is God already knows that we're not perfect, that we don't have the ability, that without Him, we can't remain true. Verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now here's what's happening. God sends this angel to come along and sit under the tree, and Gideon is hiding in a wine press. This is not the symbol of someone who is courageous and who's standing out here going, I defy the enemies of the Lord, and you're not going to take from it. No, it's the guy who's over here going, hey, shh, y'all don't. Don't make so much noise while we're doing this. And so the angel of the Lord, verse 12, appeared to him, appeared to Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What? <laughs> mighty man of valor? He's hiding in the wine press. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours huh? and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. It's kind of like Gideon and God are having two different conversations. God comes up, hey, mighty man of valor. Gideon says, if God's for us, he doesn't even question. You know, he doesn't question about if it's an angel. He doesn't question any of that stuff. He just goes straight to saying what really would be in all of our hearts. He goes straight to saying, look, if God is for us, why has this happened to us? Why am I going through this? Now, he falsely accuses God to a certain extent. He almost makes a statement of truth, but, but it's in more of an accusatory tone. Because he says, wait a minute, he says, I, I, I don't, I've heard all this stuff about what God has done. I've heard it from all of our older people telling us how that God delivered, that God provided, that God saved, that God sustained, that God did all this stuff, but I'm not seeing it. He says, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt, but now he has forsaken us. And given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord didn't even, have, didn't even respond. God didn't even respond to his questioning to any of that stuff. God had a plan. God had a purpose. He's over here going, what happened? How come God's not doing? Why is none of this? And God just keeps right on in his conversation. God said to him, go in this might of yours. What might? What might? He's sitting here questioning. We've been turned over. And God says, go in this might and save Israel from the hand of Midian. How's that going to happen? Man, there's a powerful little phrase right here. He says, do not I send you. Amen. What might? The might is that I, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the one that speaks worlds into existence, I am sending you and telling you, go and be victorious. 
I'm not telling you go do this as a challenge for you. I'm telling you because you need to go fulfill what I have already put into existence. Gideon says to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Okay. Uh, see, God's still almighty man of valor going this strength, and he's going, God, how's that going to happen? Because, you know, yeah, I'm part of, you know, these, the, 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 the tribes and all this, but, man, our, our, our tribe, our clan, we're the least out of all the tribes, and I'm the least out of my tribe. I'm the bottom of the bottom. I'm the least of the least. How is God going to do anything through me? You've already forsaken us. And although, you know, there's got to be somebody better than me to do this. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You know, you know what he's saying? He says, I know that they're like the locusts. I know that you can't count their camels. on. But when you strike them, you're going to strike them as if you were fighting one person. Wow. I, you will strike them as one man. He said to him, If now I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it's you who speak with me. <laughs> I'm like, Gideon's like, Okay, apparently I'm not going to get out of this, but we're going to have to put you to the test here. Well, I need to see this is really God. Now, you know what? If God had told him, here's what I think, because I, I just think like us. If God had told him, hey, go over the hill right yonder because you're going, to find, you're going to find a wagon load of gold, I don't think he would have been going, well, you know what, I need to get a sign, Lord. I need you to, I need you to give me a sign. You know, if the Lord had said, I'm going to bless you, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to put financial blessing on you. You're not going to, I don't know that he would have stopped and said, well, Lord, I, I need a sign that you really want me to walk over the top of that hill. You know, but God told him, hey, I want you to face an insurmountable apparently unavoidable, apparently incomprehensible, because I said you couldn't count them, enemy, and he says, and you're going to go, and it's going to be like fighting one guy. Hey, I need to know if you're really from God. <laughs> so if I found favor in your eyes, show me a sign that it's you who speak with me. Please don't depart from here till I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. Now, like he, he said, all right, I need to, I, I think you're from God, so if you're from God, I'm going to do an act of worship. I'm going to bring you something and bless you. And he said, I will stay until you return. That's what the angel says. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened capes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented him. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. He's kind of making, you know, bready soup kind of stuff. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cake. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And he got afraid because they, they, they were very concerned at that point in time that you didn't see something this powerful from God and live. Right. We don't have any of that today. We don't, we don't really have much fear of that, that if we truly get into the presence of God. Maybe that's why sometimes we're just irreverent. Because we don't really have that sense of that when we come into the presence of God, there is something powerful about it. That there is something that is life-changing about it. But he was concerned. He was afraid. 
And so when Gideon perceived, he said, Oh, Lord, I have, I've seen the, the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace, don't fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Now here's an interesting thing. See, the moment, the moment that Gideon perceived who this was, and he recognized, and then he went through an act of worship. Then once he rose, and God said, no, there's going to be peace to you. Man, he began to worship. He built an altar. I wish at times, because altars were so significant during, during um, the, the, this time period in the Bible, I wish that we understood the spiritual nature, truly, of building an altar, of, of making an altar before God, of recognizing and understanding that it is at that moment when something happens in our lives that we need to stop and worship God. You know, sometimes we get so excited that we move right on past to the celebration phase. We move right on to the point of, you know, you got that job that you put in for at work, you just start calling everybody and telling them, and you don't, we don't stop. We're almost like the other nine lepers in the Bible. When Jesus heals the ten, we're like the other nine that go leaping and rejoicing because we're ready to get on with our life. Instead of stopping for a moment and saying, God, I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to stop and worship you before anything else happens. I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to worship. That night, verse 25, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Now listen to this. God had already spoken to the people before he sent the prophet. And God said, you, you're not obeying me anymore. And part of the reason that they weren't obeying, part of the evidence that they weren't obeying was they had begun to worship other things. Mm -hmm. Come on. Now most people today want to say, well, I'm not, I'm not worshiping some other God and I don't have some idol in my house. Sure, oh. sure people do. Sure people do. For some people, Caleb and I were pulling, pulling by yesterday and we saw a store and I said, man, what's all them teenagers doing outside that store? And he said, oh, there's a new Jordan release shoe coming out. And I thought, man... That's pretty impressive right there. You know, you've got a bunch of teenagers going to drop $175 or something like that to buy a new pair of shoes and standing in line outside. Now, look, I'll go ahead and admit to you. I'll go ahead and tell you the truth. I didn't buy any of them shoes. That wasn't what I was fixing. But, but, but look, I have, you know, when it comes to, to some of the shopping around, you know, Thanksgiving and all that stuff, back just a few years ago, man, I've been standing out there in that freezing cold, going to stand in that line. You know what will convict you in a hurry, though? Oh, you know it's fixing to happen. He's <laughs> like, quit, don't do it. You know what will convict you in a hurry? Is when you're going to go stand in line because you think you're going to save 25 30% for something you need to buy for Christmas or something you just want. But if it's a little too hot, or it's a little too cold, or it's a little too loud, or it's not loud enough in church, what people, oh, I, hey, oh, <laughs> Man, but you stand in line in the freezing cold, wishing that somebody, and, and you need to go to the bathroom, but you're not going to get out of line, because you know you're going to be there for about three hours or so waiting in line. You prepare? Think, of, oh, I, I did not preach that today. <laughs> People will prepare for that kind of stuff. They'll be thinking about it for two, three weeks in advance. They're waiting. They're expectantly looking for when that store is going to communicate what's going to happen. 
When you will release that sale paper, people would call, hey, did you know they got the sale paper out here? Man, that thing we've been waiting on, it's going to be 40% off. And they'll start preparing. All right, hey, what time are we going to leave? What time are we going to get there? Who's going to stand in line if one of them needs to go to the bathroom? Is there a bathroom that's going to be open nearby? That? Now, you know it's the truth. Go ahead, you know it's the truth. People get up on Sunday morning trying to figure out what they're going to do because then they're more prepared all week to be ready to go to church. They ain't prepared their hearts for God. They hadn't been waiting to see what God was going to release and tell them he was going to do in their life like they're waiting for that sale paper. It's going to make me preach this morning. My goodness. I mean, come on. You know, we'll prepare for something like that to save a little bit of measly dollars. But yet God is wanting to do stuff in our lives and we don't put half the preparation sometimes in if even that much, to what God is wanting to do in our lives. God told him, he said, hey, he said, you need to go get this altar down. See, the problem is we start worshiping at some other altar. You've got altars in your life. I don't care who you are. There's some altars in your life. You may be bound at the altar of your job. You may be bound at the altar of your spouse, at the altar of your husband, your wife, your children. You may be bound at the altar of your vacation. You may be bound at the altar of the car that you want to have. Whatever it is, there's something that controls and drives your life, and you worship it. It will take your time. It will take your money. It will take your talents. It will take your, your passions. And so he looks and he says, look, your, your dad has an altar to Baal. Why are you going to sit here and tell me about that God has forsaken you and given you over to other people when you're worshiping a dead idol? You're worshiping Baal. And not only that, he says, but you need to cut down the Asherah that's beside it. We often hear in the Old Testament, we hear them talk about groves, sacred groves and things. This, this Asherah was a, was a female goddess, they claimed, that, that they claimed to be the mother of the other gods. And so they would often have a carved pole or something. Sometimes it would be trees. It would just be trees that they would have a grove that was dedicated. So he says, you need to go and you need to pull down the altar of Baal and you need to cut down that pole that's beside it. Now, he didn't say go start worshiping God. Not first. He said, go get the stuff out of your life that's not supposed to be there. Let's start there. God does not want to dwell over here on your dad's land next to Baal and these groves and these poles for Asherah. You need to go get that junk out because God doesn't want to coexist with that stuff. He's not going to be a dual renter with you in your life. He says, you get those things out. After that, then you can build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold. Here with stones laid in due order. Man, I could preach that right there. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah. He says, not only do I want you, you need to take the stuff that you've been worshiping and you need to sacrifice it and burn it in order to worship God. He says, I don't want you to just take and cut down this thing that you've been worshiping and that totem pole essentially that you've had over there. I want you to totally obliterate that thing out of your life. I want you to not only tear it down, but then we're going to cut it up and burn it in order to make sacrifice to God. He says, so take that and offer that second bull as a burnt offering with the wood from that Asherah that you cut down. And Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, I'm not going to mock him at this point. 
because he was afraid of his family and he was afraid of the people, but he still did it. So I don't care how you got to go about doing getting rid of some stuff in your life. You may be afraid of what your family's going to say. You may be afraid of what your friend's going to say. Some people may be afraid of what their pimp's going to say, their pusher's going to say, or what somebody else is going to say. If you still got to do it, find a way, and if you got to do it in the dead of night, get rid of it. Get broke free. So he did, and he did it by night. And verse 28, when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of El was broken, Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who's done this thing? After they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. Now you hear me. Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Don't you think that when you really get in it to win it, that you really make the commitment that there aren't going to be some people that are going to have a problem with you getting set free from some stuff in your life? Yes, sir. The people, part of it is because people know stuff is wrong. And they don't want to see you get set free from something in your life because it makes them realize that they're not free. So they'd rather keep you in bondage beside them because misery loves company. And people will want to bring you into their sin and into this. That's why, you know what? That's why people have no problem calling somebody up and telling them about their sin. They'll call out, hey, man, we're going to have a a keg party over at the house, man. You want to come on over? How many people called up somebody and said, hey, Man, we're fixing to have some Jesus worship in the morning. You want to go on over with us? But when we was, but when we was in sin, when we were in sin, we'd call them and tell them, hey, I got a little bit of crack if you want to split some of it. <laughs> hey, you know, hey, 20 bucks, man, I'll let you in. On, we got some weed. We got some stuff we can do. Hey, we're going to spend the night. You know, I mean, come on, guys. Come on. I mean, it's just, I see it on Facebook. I see people, hey, you know, going to go get our drink on this weekend and all that stuff. Man, you don't have no problem advertising that stuff. When you get set free from that kind of junk, people don't like that. That's right. You better find you a new set of friends. Because then people that's been doing all that stuff with you are not going to be happy that you got set free. That's right. And these guys said, hey, who's done tore down our altar? Who's going to tear all this stuff down? You need to bring him out because we're going to kill him. At least you've got to give it to this. You've got to give his dad some props. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Are you going to contend for Baal? Are you going to save him? Whoever contends for him should be put to death by morning. I like this statement. If he's a god, let him contend for himself because his altar's been broken down. I mean, hey, he just lays it out there. Joash says, Hey, why do you need to stand up for him? If he's a god, let him get upset and do something about the fact that somebody done tore his altar down. Why are you going to do it for him? Here's an interesting thing. The, the, the crazy thing is, really what he was saying was a biblical statement about God in reverse when God says, hey, you don't need to worry, the battle is mine. See, Joash looks and says, why do y'all feel the need to stand up for your God? My God tells me that I need to stand down because he got this. You feel the need to step up and say, oh, I'm going to do this. But yet God is the one telling us, hey, you need to step aside. Let me deal with this. This is my problem. He said, will you contend for Baal? He said, God, let him do it. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbabel. 
How about that? I'd have stuck with Gideon myself, I mean. <laughs> Jerubbabel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Here we go again. They must have figured out that something was going on in town. Here they lined themselves up. They're fixing to come in. They're fixing to take everything you've got again. Now there's some times where you start looking around in your life and you start seeing that the enemy is mustering forces and is building up an offensive against you. The question's going to be, what are you going to do? And so these people, they had seen this happen before. This wasn't new to them. They had seen the enemy line up and going to come against them. And so they're sitting there and say, oh, here it happens again. It is, they're, like, they're fixing to take everything. We might as well get prepared. We're not going to have anything left. But verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. See, finally, somebody had begun to listen to what God was saying. Somebody had begun to go, wait a minute, and he made that first step because God said, I need you to be obedient to me. God didn't give him victory coming out the gate. God demanded obedience first. Yes. God said, you're going to have to get the stuff out of your life that shows you're not committed to me. You're going to have to get your allegiance clearly defined and take a stand where the people know that you are committed to my cause. I'm not just going to deliver you because you come and say you need me to deliver you. we got to get some stuff straight in your life, and then I'm going to deliver you. And then people will see and say, when you line up with what God wants, then God can move in your life. And God told him, said, you go down. So he destroys the idols, takes them. He worships God. First time that happened in a long time. Sometimes when we get off into our stuff and we're worried about what the enemy's doing, we just get where we don't worship anymore. We can come and we can go through the motions and we can sing some lyrics and all that stuff. It doesn't mean anything to us. We're not really, we're not really singing, Lord, reign in me and saying, God, over all the earth, over all my dreams, over everything I have, Lord, I want you to reign in me. This is the one thing I want is I want you to reign in me again. No, that's not where we end up. That's not what we end up doing. We can sing these songs about, you know, God, your, your, your love reaches to the heavens, all that. We're not worried about that anymore. Because we're not in an attitude of worship any longer. We're not in an attitude of worship. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Verse 34. See, when he, when he obeyed, when he finally obeyed and he tore stuff out of his life and he put it before God and then the people came against him, see, he faced opposition for his stand. They actually changed his name. I ain't got enough time, you know, to go back to that Jerubal thing because in essence he got a name where that now people knew that's the guy that stood against the other gods. Oh, that we would... Oh, wait, we got a name. That's right. Because then we call ourselves Christians, which is little Christ, meaning I'm now a follower after Christ. Does our name really reflect what we're doing? His name reflected, this is the guy that contended against Baal. This is the guy that stood up against... I wish that in our community 
that we as individuals and that we as a body of believers would be able to get and maintain a name then that people say these are the folks that stand against racism. These are the people that stand against there, there, being, there being oppression. These are the people that stand against sin, that stand against pornography, that stand against... But they stand for Christ. They stand for love. They stand for compassion. They stand for God changing life. I want it to be when people say the, the name of Unity Point, not because of us, not because of me, but because of what we do and who we are, that that name carries a meaning, just like when those people would say, Jerusalem would go, oh, that's the guy that stood against other gods. So the enemy lined up against him, against the whole people. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. See, once all those things had been made right, once his name got changed, now he had a reputation. See, the angel had already seen, God had already seen, mm, man, I'm feeling all that. God had already seen what he was going to be down the road. God wasn't speaking to him as you are a mighty man of valor right now. God was speaking what he was going to become. That's what God was proclaiming over him when he said, you mighty man of valor, go in this strength. Because he knew it was not going to be through him, but God was going to empower him to become and to do what he needed to do. And God spoke into what was instead of what is. That's what began to happen. But the Spirit of the Lord then clothed Gideon because now that he had all this stuff aligned, now that he had all this stuff right, now the Spirit of the Lord could be active in Gideon's life where he could not before. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. He sounded the alarm. He sounded the call. See, sometimes I think we're just so busy going about through our Christian life that God never reaches a point in us where that we can sound the call to rally the troops to the mission that we're on. Because we're hung up in the mission of get up and go to work in the morning, do whatever we got to do tomorrow afternoon, just get dinner, let's go to bed, let's do... We have no mission sometimes to even call anybody else to. We don't see ourselves on a mission. I'm just going to get through this life and then hopefully, you know, I'm going to die and go to heaven and streets of gold and I'm going to dance and... Right? We're all looking for what's going to happen way out there when God's wanting us to be on mission here. I don't... Some people aren't in it to win it because they're not in it. Much less to win it. Well. <laughs> he sounded the trumpets and the Abzerites were called out to follow him and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. You know what he started saying? Come follow the guy that stood against Baal. If, if you want to give a call out, you need, to be, you need to have something that you can call people to and you need to be able to say, I've already stepped out. You need to be able to call people and be able to say, hey, come be a part of what's happening where we are doing this. Not where we're thinking about it. Not where we had some committees to talk about it. Not where we went through six months of training and we ain't done nothing with it, but mm, move on. And they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hands, you've said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew on the fleece alone that's dry on the ground, I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand as you have said. See, he's still questioning. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn again. Don't be mad at me, God. But let me speak just once more. Let me test you one more time with this fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece 
and let there be dew on all the ground in the morning. God did, and it was dry on the fleece, and on the ground there was dew. So chapter 7, this is where I was really headed. Then Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of meeting was north of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. All right, so they're, they're over here, and they're by the spring. The enemy is over here. And the Lord said to Gideon, <laughs> The people with you are too many for me to give the, Idian, the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now wait just a minute. God looks at this guy and says, you got too many people with you. You are, you are going to go out here and you're going to fight against an innumerable enemy. Can't count their camels and all this stuff. They like locusts. You got too many people with you. Makes zero sense to us until God says that next statement. Because with all these people that you got, with all these people that you got with you, if y'all do this, you will glory in yourselves instead of glorying in me. Because you're going to go and you're going to say, hey, look, look what we did. I mean, I know it was, we were a little outnumbered, but look what we did. See, we put in hard work. See, we was in it to win it. We, we, we got this done. We did this. God says, I know if I let this happen, you will take the glory from me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, listen to this, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people left and 10,000 remained. So he had 32,000 people. Simple math. Just put your two numbers. He had 10,000 that stayed, 22,000 that left. There's a lot of people that they are trying to go along with your mission. There's a lot of people that will go along simply because they're with the crowd. They're afraid, and they're trembling, and they're probably going to run when the fight starts. That's right. Because people that are afraid and trembling, when the, when the fight starts and people start getting flayed and they swords going everywhere, I mean, we're dealing with everything. When all that's going, people are going, hey, whoop, I'm going to pick them up, put them down, go the other direction. He said, you don't need any of that either. You need to, you need to get rid of some people. You need, to, you need to release some people and say, hey, if you're too afraid to do what it is that we're about to do, then go somewhere else. Go get somewhere. Hey, if you're too afraid to reach out to people that don't look like us, oh, I got it. If, if you're not interested in engaging into the, into the fight, the people that are lost, the people that are going to be hateful, the people, because we were once like them, is what the word says, but you have been justified, you have been sanctified, you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been changed. But if you're too afraid for the fight, if you're fear and trembling, then hey, God's already getting, hey, just, it's okay. It's okay. Just, you can go. That's what he told them. So, <laughs> two-thirds of the people left. Two-thirds of them got up and said, hey, whoo, man, I'm glad because I did not want to come, but all my neighbors came and everybody else came and I was going to be the only guy left in my village. And I came, but now I know that everybody, all the other guys in my village, they didn't want to come either. We can all go home now. 
And the Lord said to Gideon, can you imagine Gideon goes, okay, God, all right, two-thirds of my people just up and gone. Two-thirds are gone. I mean, you said we had too many. I had 32,000 people. Now, now I got 10. Okay, God, there, we can't count them. They're like locusts on the hills out here. I had 32,000. I got 10,000. Let, let's do this thing. <laughs> the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. I can just see Gideon going, you come on, man. Come on. You got to be kidding me. The people are still too many, so take them down to the water. And I'll test for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, this one is not going to go with you, they won't go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. All right, now understand, what he's saying is, we're going down here to the creek. Everybody's going to get a drink of water. He says, if, if they get down on their knees and they just put their face down on the water, you're going to put them in one group. But if they cup some water out and then they're going to drink out of their hand, you're going to put them in a different group. See, the first group, they got so enamored with the blessing. Mm, they got so into that blessing, that provision, that living water. They got so into it that they stopped paying attention to anything that was around them. And he said, those people aren't going to be good for you in a fight because they're going to lose focus on the mission because they're so into the blessing that they forgot the mission. Oh, I'm telling you, that's better than what y'all getting. He said, they're, they're going to put their face down in it, and they're just, going, they're just going to be sucking up the blessing for themselves, but lose sight of the enemy that's around them. They're, going to not, they're no longer going to be keeping an eye out. They're not going to be looking out for you, and they're not looking out for themselves. But these other ones, they're going to take some of the blessing, but they're going to keep an eye. They're going to stay watchful, because they know there's an enemy, because we're in a fight. This ain't like we're off somewhere and don't know what's fixing to happen. You brought 32,000 people over here to prepare to fight. And these guys are putting their head down in the water in the blessing and forgetting the fight. There's a lot of people. They'll drive all over the country. They'll drive to places because they're pursuing the blessing, but they're getting off mission. They're all about devouring the blessing, but they're not keeping their eye out on what's happening and protecting their brother over here and standing for him and protecting somebody that's next to him. He says, so they're going to get a little of that blessing, but they're going to keep an eye out. And the number of those who lapped, who put their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? I can, almost, I can almost see Gideon in my mind. Maybe I'm just, I'm just projecting. I am. I'm projecting on him what I would be thinking, I believe. He's going, okay, all right, God's told me to separate these people into two groups. We really don't know if he understood because it's not until after this that God tells him which group he's going to take. But can you imagine if, he, if it dawned on him, if he started figuring out, wait a minute, oh, there's another one with their face down. There, come on, is there, wait a minute, is there, there's got to be somebody that's not got their face down in the water. Well, there's one. Well, man, all of these, they got their... Man, come on. There, oh, there's another. All right, got two. All right, three. Man, everybody I see has got their face down in the water. 
All right, five, oh, five, six, seven. Oh, I mean, can you imagine in his mind? Well, man, there ain't that many. <laughs> or, or if he hadn't figured it out, if he's going, all right, there's two groups. Man, I hope it's this group over here because there's a bunch of them. <laughs> there's a lot of them. There was actually 9,700 of them because he had 10,000 people left. I don't even know that he would have spotted the 300 out of the 10,000. See, sometimes there's a lot of people that they run to the call initially. And you might not even be able to spot the 300 that's out in amongst them, but God does. But God sees. And so God speaks to him and says, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. Gideon just has to be looking around going, You know, the beginning of the day, I had like 32,000 people. We got less than 10% now. You know, 10% would have been 3,000. Actually, 1% would have been, would have been 3,200. I mean, 320. Uh, 1% would have been 320. He's less than 1%. He's going to go, God, I had 32,000 people at the beginning of the day. Then you cut me down to 10. Thousand. Now you got me down to 300. <laughs> These people can't be counted. So those people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but he retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down into the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, then go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So he says, all right, look, I'm ready for you to go attack. You need to take these 300, you need to go attack. But if you're still having problems in believing what I'm going to do, Take your servant and sneak down there and listen to what the enemy says. See, sometimes all we're hearing is what the enemy says to us when they come against us in the form of battle. We're not hearing what, they talk, what the enemy's really talking about when he recognizes already that he's defeated. We're not hearing that the enemy already knows that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We're not hearing the enemy say we already know that God is for them. So you remember, we, we, see, we see the story. You know, there was, a, there was the, the lady in, in Canaan, and she said, Look, we already know. Said, We've already heard that your God goes before you. We've already heard that he... In fact, our hearts melted like wax. See, when, nobody hears that. Because the enemy does not going to come out and tell you, I know I'm already defeated. He says, I'm going to try to defeat you if you won't rely on the victory that God has already provided for you. Come on, yes. So he says, if you want to, just go ahead and go down to the camp and hear what they're saying. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. And how's that going to help Gideon? 
He says, go down there to their camp and see what they're saying. He goes down there and he looks and goes, man, I can't even see the grass. They're camels. Make it look like the sand out beside the ocean. They're very literal. It's a very figurative. He wasn't just using the... I mean, they're tan. They look like, it looks like sand as far as I can see. They're camels. They're That's just their camels. It's kind of like David going and looking at Goliath, right? Nine foot tall, you know. He said his spear was like a, a weaver's beam, you know, like the big on a on a loom. It's all this massive stuff. You go stare the enemy in the face, and he's bigger than you, and he's stronger than you, and he's uglier than you. Praise God, and he's meaner than you, and all that other stuff. But you go stare him down. You go look at him. Why? Because then you're going to understand what God delivered you from. You're going to understand what God did. You don't need to hide your eyes because you're going to be afraid. But go and see and embrace what it is that God is about to deliver you from. And so he goes down there and that's what he sees. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrades. So they sneak up on the guys that are outside outside the, the camp that are guarding. They're on watch. And one guy's telling another one, Hey, bro, you're not going to believe what I dreamed about. When I, when I was napping earlier, man, I had a dream. It was the craziest thing. That's the, way this, that's the way this is going. And he says, hey, man, I had a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell down and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. You notice he describes the tent as a singular tent, by the way. Here's, this is just, just a real side note for me to tie some stuff together. He doesn't say it knocked all the tents down. It talks about a tent. Remember God told Gideon, said, you're going to strike them as fighting one man? They saw the whole tent all together. They said this guy had this dream. This guy in the enemy's camp had a dream of one big old tent. And one piece of bread comes rolling up in, hits the post in the tent, and knocks the tent down. And the other guy goes prophetic and interprets his dream. In the enemy's camp. The other guy looks at him and here's what he says. This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Two guys on the outpost standing out here. One goes, hey man, I had this dream. I don't know if it was bad pizza. I don't know what it was. You know, some bad goat and barley. And I just had this dream, and there was this tent, and then this piece of bread come rolling down a hill, and it hit the tent and knocked it down. The other guy goes, dude, I know what it is. He says, what is it? He says, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. That piece of bread is nothing other. That's that guy Gideon. It's that guy Gideon, and their God has already delivered us to them. We're done for. And here's Gideon over here in the shadows, afraid, worried. God took me from 32,000 people down to 10,000 people down to 300 people. And God says, why don't you go listen to what the enemy has to say about you? Mm. Come on. Yeah. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream, it's interpretation, what did he do? He worshipped. God, I thank you. Because I came down here not knowing what I was going to hear. I thought I was going to see. And I saw how big the enemy was. And I have tested you and I have tried you and I've done all this stuff. And the whole time you've been telling me you're going to go and you're going to be victorious. Now you told me just go down there and listen. Go hear what they got to say. And those people, you've already put in their minds that they're already defeated. 
But I'm sitting up here looking at the enemy thinking there is no way we can stand against this. And you've already put in their hearts in some little old guys out here standing guard. There is no way that we can stand against God and his man Gideon. I got 300 people, and I'm thinking there's no way we can stand against this enemy. They got people like sand on a seagull, and there's no way we can stand against God and Gideon. As soon as Gideon heard that, he worshipped, and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put trumpets in the hand of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me. And do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. They're in the middle of the night, y'all. They're in the dark part of the night. And, and here's what they got. They got a trumpet in one hand. So that, was the, that was the call. They were going to make the call. Oh, my goodness. This is what I, I said. Mm. They had a trumpet to make the call. They've got a, they've got a torch. They got the light, but they got it in, a, they got it in an earthen jar. They, they got it in some jars of clay. And he says, when we get there, and I tell you, you just do what I do. So they got there in the middle of the watch, and they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets, and they smashed the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets then and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torch and in their right hand the trumpet to blow and they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Man, there's so much symbolism in, in this. You know, so much symbolism that we need to step into some of the darkest situations, some of the darkest moments, some of the darkest times, some of the darkest lives in people. And we need to step forward and we need to sound the call and then let our light shine. We need to let this, this earthen vessel, that the, the, the torch, the light of God, we're supposed to be a light, a city set on a hill. And you don't light it up and put it under a bushel, he said. We need to break the earthen jar we need to fracture and destroy this thing that we call ourselves and allow God to shine out. But if you don't give a call, then nobody's going to look to the light. And if you've got no light, then when you give the call, nobody can see anything. But when we put the two together and we step into the dark situations of people's lives, that seems to be there is no hope, there is no way to overcome, there is no way to win the victory, then give the call, break yourself before God and let the light shine out of you and the enemy is defeated every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran they cried out and fled when they blew the 300 trumpets the Lord said every man soared against his comrade and against all the army and the army fled as far as, as Beth Shetta towards Zaria as far as the border of Abba by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. I'm going to tell you what happened. Here, here's, just, here's just the real deal. They got 300 people, but they are, these 300 guys are surrounding an innumerable force, seemingly. Remember? Like, like, like sand beside the ocean. 300 guys sound the call around probably hundreds of thousands. This city doesn't have hundreds of thousands. 
Oh, y'all need, mm, you need to feel what's coming out of that. And, and, and they, these 300 surround, and then they sound the alarm, and, and surround it all the way around, just 300. It's just 300 of them. And they break out and let the light begin to shine. And what happens? Because the enemy already knew they were defeated when they sounded the call, when they shone the light, and they said, this is for God, and this is for the one who has stood against other gods. Then all them people, they started getting mad. They started fighting each other. They, they, hey, they must be on me. They're on top of me. And they started killing each other. And the whole group of them gets up and they, and they run away. And you know what then happens? Then word spreads. Let me tell you, let me go ahead and just tell you, you need to, this little light of mine. I'm going to, anyway, all right. When that began to happen, then all those people that had gone back into the hill country, all those folks that weren't ready to go into the fight, all those folks that weren't ready to be part of the 300 taking the stand, then God moved on all of them because somebody set the lead. Somebody got out in front of it and followed God and did what, and God, and then all them people said, we got to get in on this. I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. I had my heart wrong. But now I see what God is doing and I'm coming out of the hills. I'm coming out of the dens. I'm coming out of the woods. They started coming out the woodwork. Look, I'm not looking for God to create some revival in the city of Anniston because that every church in this community all of a sudden decides to get together and go be Christians like we're supposed to. But I am looking forward to that we need to take a stand. We need to sound the call. We need to break ourselves before God and let the light shine. And then I would hope that then people that are hearing the call of Christ and seeing the enemy be defeated would start coming out of the woodwork and descend on this city and take it back from the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. 300 people were in it to win it. 32,000 started out on the journey. 22,000 of them was afraid. They was just going along because all their friends did. Another 9,700 of them, 97%, really, you know, there's another, another 9,700 out of the 10,000. They're, they're sitting here and they're going, well, you know, I, I, uh, I'm in it, but I'm in it for what I get. <clears throat> I, I'm in it for the blessing. Then he had 300. I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of the blessing, but I'm going to be part of the fighting too. I'm going to be part of the victory. I'm going to be part of, part, of, part of defending what God is doing. I'm going to be part of winning this victory. It may look like the odds are against us, but if we're going to proclaim the word, and they didn't have this to be able to say, but we do. We have that New Testament statement that we can say that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We are made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Are we in it? to win it. Let's pray.